So the spiritual discipline that we're going to talk about now is meditation. Now, when you hear that word, you're probably not quite putting it in Christian context. I mean, let's be honest, uh, there's a lot of New Age religion, uh, there's a lot of Eastern religions uh, that use the word meditation a lot differently than uh, what was originally intended in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Uh, you know, you might think of New Age spirituality, which uses a kind of form of meditation to empty our minds and find, you know, inner peace. Um, Eastern religions like Buddhism or Hinduism have practiced mindfulness using meditation for many, many years. And um, if we're being honest, uh, meditation has actually created a lot of really great rock and roll records. Uh, transcendental meditation was really popular in the 50s, or it started in the 50s, and was really popular with bands like the Beatles and the Beach Boys in the 70s. And uh, the Beach Boys album Friends uh, was kind of created under the influence of that kind of meditation, as well as the Beatles' The White Album, which are really, really great records, by the way. Uh, but those aren't the kind of meditation that we're talking about. In fact, meditation is actually a very Judeo-Christian uh, thing that, that started with God's people in the Old Testament. Um, this concept of, of meditation is actually a foundational core of almost all spiritual disciplines. Boy, I could watch that handsome fella all day. What about you? Oh, gosh. I was not looking for that. I'm sorry. That's not a great way to start off a sermon. Uh, I just want to take a moment uh, before I start. And uh, was, I was thinking as the team was leading, can we just thank our team for leading us so well this morning? Yeah, good stuff. Really good stuff. I was, um, I love that last song. I know it's new probably to many of you, A Thousand Hallelujahs. And I was sitting back there and I was thinking like, I wonder if, I wonder if I could individually like actually write out or think of a thousand ways to say thank you to God this morning. With, with all of the things uh, that go on in our daily lives, let alone all the stuff that's going on in the world, I thought, I wonder if I could do that. And I was like, I don't know, like where I'm at right now in this moment, I don't know that I could. And then I thought to myself, I wonder if we collectively as a church today could come up with a thousand hallelujahs. And then I was sitting back there and begin to thought, think about people in Ukraine who are probably huddled up in many churches this morning scared for their lives. And I thought, I bet yeah, they could think of a thousand more hallelujahs this morning than I could. And so I'm going to invite you to stand for a moment. I would just love to take a, a few moments of silence as a church. There's not a thousand of us. I'm, I'm sure each of us could probably have a handful of hallelujahs. But we live in a country as crazy as it may be sometimes, who are free and safe to come and worship in church this morning. And that's hallelujah enough right now for me. So let's take a few moments of silence to pray for our brothers and sisters, not only in Christ, but in humanity, in Ukraine, 
Jesus, I am incredibly thankful that I was able to safely walk across the parking lot to come to church this morning and that these people bravely drove here and safely got here and that people are safely worshiping from their own homes through technology this morning. As I'm sure there are thousands upon thousands who are in positions in their life right now that don't get the same opportunity as us this morning. And not just in Ukraine, but around the world. But Lord Jesus, this morning we lift up our brothers and sisters half a world away. And God, though we give you our hallelujah, God, we send them our prayers of safety, of an expedient resolve to this needless and dare I say senseless action on this country Lord help us in Jesus name I hope we all agree and say amen you guys can take a seat so we are in uh this new series called Spiritual Disciplines, and I'm going to be totally honest with you, when I was doing my master's last year, um, exactly, yeah, we have a special presentation. Um, when I was doing my master's last year, uh, I actually had been hired already, and we had a few months before I arrived, and while uh, I was in contact with Pastor Jason. I had to do this thing called a cornerstone project, which is like your big final project to get your master's. And um, while we were, uh, while I was doing that, he was talking about, well, I really have a passion for our church to dig into the spiritual disciplines, to find a way to resource our people so that they don't just come to church on Sunday morning hoping to get a hint of how they can live their lives with Jesus better. I, I want to give them something that is tangible and practical, something they can go home with. Um, and so my Cornerstone Project ended up becoming this for our church. And so uh, we're going to be talking about seven specific spiritual disciplines. Now, there are many. There are a lot more than seven, but we want to talk about seven that we believe that are easy, practical ways to add to your life so that you can get closer to Jesus and grow in your faith and in your relationship with him. And uh, so, again, I just want to plug these workbooks. Like, this isn't just a, a few pieces of paper um, for you to take home and throw in the trash. This could be a really valuable tool for you for the next seven weeks. They're really easy challenges. There's places in there to make sermon notes if you find there are any. Uh, we just, it's just a resource for you to grow in your faith with Jesus. Because we all have next steps, right? Right? Like, no matter where you are on, like, this, this uh, the balance of spirituality, and no matter where you are in your relationship with Jesus, whether it's down here, it's new, you've been a follower for a week, or, or you've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years, we all have a next step. We all have a, a next place that we can go in our relationship with Jesus, and these spiritual disciplines help us, help get us there, no matter where you are on that spectrum. And so today, we're going to start... Uh, by talking about meditation. Meditation. Which, 
as the handsome guy in the video said, meditation has come a, become a little bit like a cuss word in society today. Uh, or at least in the Christian context, it seems to have been twisted and, and changed and transformed over the years into something that we do. You know, we, we picture um, people sitting with their, cross, their legs crossed, like saying the word om and trying to like empty their minds. And I, I get it. I, I get what it has become. But meditation is actually a Judeo-Christian tradition that, that we need to continue to practice today. And so that's what we're going to talk about, meditation. Uh, so let's talk about why we're talking about discipline. Uh, if there are married uh, parents in the house, and I'm sure there are a few, I would say, even though we've, we're coming out of this relationship series, there are three major tensions, sorry, three major tensions that every married parent will go through and struggles that, that a couple will have as parents and their, their money and sex and how to discipline your kids. Like those are the three things that most married parents will struggle with and fight over and argue about in their lives. Money, sex, and how to discipline your kids. And so why, why discipline your kids? Like why is that a hard thing? Well, my wife and I, uh, we were both lucky enough to grow up in Christian homes, um, but our parents were very different. And we grew up uh, being disciplined in different ways. And so you don't think about that when you're like about to get married or freshly married or when you first have kids and you start thinking about like, oh, how do we discipline our kids? Because we do it different. And, and so it's a hard thing. I get it. Like, I grew up with a brother. I've told, I've told stories about my brother from the stage before. Like, he got into a lot of trouble when he was a kid and a teenager. So I got away with a lot. And so disciplining me was, was easy because as long as I wasn't as bad as my brother, it's fine. Just go to your room for a few minutes, whatever. Catherine's family was just a little bit different. And so it's this, this tension. John Maxwell has this great quote about discipline. He says, motivation gets you going. Discipline gets you growing. Let me say that again. John Maxwell says, motivation gets you going, but discipline keeps you growing. It's because we know that discipline is important. Whether it's with our kids or something else, discipline is something that we, we have to fight through. Um, I was, when I was, in, I was in a ministry about three years ago, and it was really stressful. It was a really hard end to that ministry. And so I needed to find a way to try to get some of that tension off of me throughout the week. So I started to run. And when I started to run, I thought like, if I want to get better at this running thing, I'm probably going to have to uh, eat a little bit better. And so I tried. Uh, my wife's a vegetarian and she does a great job of providing me and the boys with like our meat and also the vegetables for her. But then we started adding the vegetables to everything that we do. And so I tried to eat better. And then when the winter came, ain't nobody want to run in minus 30. So I was like, ah, I got to try to do something at home. So I began to work out at home. And here's the thing, it is discipline to do those things is still really hard. Discipline is a, a hard thing to do because there's discomfort in discipline. You have to change things about yourself. You have to sacrifice things in your life in order to make those things a priority. 
yes, I would love to have that third bag of mini eggs. I would love to finish off the, that bag of chips, but I probably shouldn't. Yeah, I would love to go for, you, for a walk with you, honey, but it's minus 20, so no. See, you have to make sacrifices, and it's hard, and sometimes discipline takes discomfort. Sometimes discipline takes time and sacrifice, staying fit and healthy. It takes time and effort, and it's, there's always a wall that you hit, and then you got to try to find a way over that wall. Somebody. It's tough. And it's the exact same way with our lives with Jesus. Spiritual disciplines are sometimes uncomfortable, and it takes sacrifice, and it takes time, and it takes prioritizing things. And it takes maybe setting aside that new season of Ozark in order to, to jump into whatever it is that God wants you to do next in your life with him, in your walk with him. It takes discipline because you can't be a disciple without discipline. I mean, Jesus had his 12 best friends who they, they just followed him along like, uh, like puppies. And they just took in as much as they could. He was trying to discipline them to live spiritual lives, to carry on his legacy, to carry on his church. And so that's why we're into this six-week series of seven practices. It's because we're doing two in one week. And so that's why we're in this spiritual discipline series. And so we're talking about meditation today. As I, as I mentioned before in the video, meditation has gotten a bad rap, but it's a way for us to grow in relationship with Jesus. It's the first one. It's one of the most foundational ways to get into God's Word and not just read it, but to meditate on some of the words. It's a foundational way for us to grow in faith in our relationship with Jesus. And it's not just about reading it. It's about listening for God's voice in it. And so as we'll see, meditating on God's Word and simply reading it or, or using it for devotional purposes are one thing but they're different and they serve different purposes. So I'm not saying don't read your Bible, you know, big chunks. We're just simply talking about meditation today and using it as a spiritual practice to grow in faith. And so before we do that, I want to do one thing. I actually want to pray a prayer of meditation over us from the Psalms. And this psalm is, it's actually ends up being the longest psalm there is, Psalm 119. And there are parts of it that talks about God's word and God's promises and what he puts in place for us in order to study and to know and to grow closer to him. So you can feel free to bow your head or like the psalmist says, lift your eyes to heaven when you pray. But let's just empty ourselves for a moment and take in these words from Psalm 119 as I pray them over us. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I walk, as I, sorry, as I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please do not give up on me. Lord, give me 
your unfailing love, the salvation that you promised me. Then I can answer those who taunt me, for I trust in your word. Do not snatch your word of truth from me, for your regulations are my only hope. I will keep on obeying your instructions forever and ever. I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. I will speak to kings about your laws, and I will not be ashamed. How I delight in your commands, how I love them. I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. Amen. See, these words are about not just reading God's word, but meditating and knowing them. And so that's the importance of why we need to meditate on God's word. So I want to talk about meditation because, like I said, it's a, it seems like it's been a bit of a cuss word in the Christian circles over the last few years, but we want to reclaim it as our own. Uh, it's a, it's a Judeo-Christian practice that not only uh, all of God's people have participated in, but more specifically, and maybe more importantly, Jesus participated in. Now, are there sp- uh, specific uh, scriptures throughout the Gospels where it says Jesus, and Jesus went to his r- closet and meditated on God's Word? Well, not necessarily, but we know that Jesus meditated on his Father's Word. We know that he did. And so if we want to be people who live and love like Jesus, like our church uh, vision says, then we need to know what Jesus did. We need to look at him as our example and follow and walk in his ways. And so we're going to talk about three ways that Jesus meditated. And uh, the first is this. Jesus meditated because it was a part of his Jewish heritage. We know Jesus meditated because it was part of his Jewish heritage heritage, this Jewish culture, uh, that they had an affinity to share their faith in God's word through oral tradition and through community stories and songs and poems and all of these different mnemonic ways of knowing God's word. They had a whole bunch of different ways. Right? They didn't necessarily all have books. They didn't have version on their phones. But they shared God's word through these different mnemonic ways. And so we know that Jesus meditated because it was part of his Jewish heritage. In Joshua 1, we see a story of Joshua who's about to take over for Moses. Moses has, he was the guy who was on the mountain, who saw a glimpse of God, and who had a community with God. And so he was, Moses was the guy who was leading God's people through the wilderness and through the desert and into the promised land, although he never quite got there. And so right as they're about to enter the promised land, Moses dies. And the leadership is left on the shoulders of Joshua. And Joshua is probably thinking to himself, look, I I can lead them in the battle and I can be a great leader for them, but I don't know that I can be the spiritual leader that Moses was. But he was the guy who was in constant communication with God. He was the mouthpiece to the people. How am I supposed to do that? And God has a message for Joshua in Joshua 1, verses 6 to 9. This is God speaking through a messenger to Joshua. This is what it says, verse 6. It says, Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave to you. That's a sharing of the word between people. Do not deviate from them. 
turning either to the right or to the left, then you will be successful in everything that you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In other words, God will provide you, Joshua, with the words to give. Meditate on the word. Trust the words that have been passed on to you through Moses and through others, through these oral traditions and all of the, the songs and the poems and of the way that we have meditated on God's word in the past. Rely on those things. Meditate on those things and you will have the words. So we know that Jesus meditated because it was part of Jewish heritage. This peace in Joshua was passed on and passed on and passed on and the Jewish heritage meditated on God's word. That's the first thing. Second thing is this, Jesus grew up learning with other meditators. Jesus grew up learning from rabbis and scholars and those who spent almost their whole lives meditating on God, where Jesus grew up learning from those people. There's a hilarious, I think it's a hilarious story, in Luke 2, where these parents basically lose their kid in Costco. Mary and Joseph, along with the rest of their family, are making a pilgrimage into Jerusalem because they're about to celebrate Passover. And they get there, and uh, they spend a few days, and then they leave, and they realize, oh no, we left our kid back in Jerusalem. Like they forgot their kid. Right? Parents, we've all been there. Right? Like losing your kids in Costco or Walmart or wherever. Like, we've all been there. It's, it can be scary. And so they're like, uh-oh. We, we, we should go back and get them. It's like, yeah, you should. This is Luke 2, starting at verse 45. When Mary and Joseph couldn't find him, they went back to search for him there. Three days later, like, it's not like, oh, he's probably in the whatever section, the kosher section. It's like, no, three days. They lasted for three days. My wife would kill me. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. Where did he go? He went to church. Wish my kids would do that. We lose him. Where did you go? I just went to the church. He, he was there sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? <laughs> Which is hilarious. Like, why did we lose you? It's your fault. Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. And Jesus says, but why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. The thing for us here is not that the parents lost the kid, is that he was in the temple learning. He was pre preparing himself for ministry. He was meditating on God's word with those who have spent their lives meditating on God's word. The rabbis and the scholars, the people who uh, spent their whole lives reading and sharing in God's word in community. Right? This is where we begin the practice of discipline, of meditating on the Word of God at, at a young age. This is why we try to teach to our kids. 
is when we can meditate on God's word, it begins to sink into our hearts, in our heads, in our minds, and so it becomes useful to us in certain situations. And this is what Jesus did at his young age as he was preparing for ministry. He spent time learning from others. It's what many of us are here doing here this morning. Is we're learning together. This isn't just me teaching you. This isn't even a, a preaching. This isn't even a sermon. We're just, we're talking about the importance of meditation. So Jesus grew up learning with other meditators. That's the second thing. The third thing is this, that we know that Jesus meditated, is that he meditated, when he did this, meditating helped Jesus memorize and utilize scripture. Meditating helped Jesus memorize and utilize scripture. In Matthew 4, uh, actually in Matthew 3, we see Jesus get baptized and then he is anointed by God the Father. And he's anointed to basically do ministry. He's anointed, it's like, all right, now is the start of your public ministry. You have been anointed and baptized and filled. Be an example. And so immediately after that, supernaturally or however, he's all of a sudden in the, in the desert by himself in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And many of us know this story this story in Matthew 4, the first 11 chapters, he basically spends time fasting and praying and meditating on God's word for 40 days and 40 nights. And in amongst these 40 days, the enemy comes to try to tempt him, to try to steer him away, to try to, to take his mind off what God has asked him to do in these 40 days of prayer and fasting and meditation. And so because he was there doing those things, he always has a response for the enemy. Uh, the enemy says, well, you're, you're fasting. You're probably hungry. Why don't you turn these rocks into bread? And Jesus in verse no says, no, for the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And a little later, Jesus, or, uh, Satan takes Jesus to the very highest point of the temple. And he says, look, if, if you are who you are, then you can just jump off and have the angels catch you. And Jesus responds in verse 7. He says, yeah, but the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And finally, in a last, last ditch effort, Satan takes Jesus and says, look, I'll give you all things. All you need to do is kneel down and worship me. In verse 10, Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So we know that Jesus meditated because it was a way for him to memorize and utilize God's word when the enemy's attacks came. And I, look, I've got a really bad memory. Ask my wife. And, and so memorizing scripture is not easy for me. It never has been. When we can meditate on God's word, when we spend time praying and fasting and looking specifically at some of God's words, that stuff gets written on our hearts and in our minds. And when the enemy comes our way to try to attack us and mess us up and take us off the path God has for us, then we can memorize and utilize scripture for those moments. And so we know that Jesus meditated because he could always use scripture to, uh, to, to memorize and utilize against the attacks of the enemies. 
So, here we are. That's nice to know that Jesus meditated. How do I do it? Where do I start? How do we do this together as a church in this next week? I want to give you, uh, suggest three ways that might be for you to meditate. If, if you're, you're starting from scratch, and I don't know how to meditate on God's Word. Look, I get up, uh, I get to the church around 8.30 uh, until, until 9 every morning. Uh, not every morning, but every work day. I'm here at 8.30 until 9. My door's closed. The staff know not to bother me during that time because that's my devotional time. Now, not always am I meditating on God's Word. Sometimes I'm reading larger trunks and trying to figure out what God wants to say to me through it. So uh, we're not saying that meditating on God's Word is the only way to read God's Word, okay? I just want to make that clear. But when it comes to meditating on God's Word, there are three things that I think we should keep in mind. The first is this, is that you want to read formationally, not informationally. The first thing is that you want to meditate for formation, not for information. In other words, when you are meditating on God's Word, you're doing it so that you are formed, molded, modeled by God's Word. You're, you're not just reading for information. Sometimes our devotions can look like that. We're just trying to get information. Or sometimes just reading God's Word from like a 50,000 foot level and, and get the overall redemptive story of God's people. Sometimes we're reading for information, but when it comes to meditating it, we're reading for formation, not for information. Forming us through meditation shapes us, it molds us, it models us into people who are more and more like Jesus. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. You're reading for quality, not quantity. You're reading for quality, not quantity. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the Bible reading plans that you're doing are bad. That's not what I'm saying at all. Please continue to read quantity and large chunks of God's Word in order to get that overarching story. But when it comes to meditating, we're reading for quality. We're looking at specific words and phrases that are speaking to us in that moment. It's, it's kind of like reading a Bible plan versus Lectio Divina. We're going to talk a little bit more about Lectio Divina in a few moments. But Lectio Divina is this practice where you take a very small chunk of Scripture and you meditate on some of the words. Whereas if you're reading a Bible plan, you're trying to get through the, you know, the Bible in a month or in a year or whatever, you're reading large chunks of Scripture. So you're reading for quality over quantity. The next thing is this, is that we read objectively, not subjectively. When you're meditating on words, on God's Word, you're reading objectively, not subjectively. In other words, the text becomes the subject, and you become the object that is being formed by the text. Understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we can let our, our beliefs, and our politics, and our, our cultural proclivities, we, sometimes we take those things, arm, arm ourselves with them, and then go into God's Word and begin to read that way. In other words, we're trying to take what God's Word says and mold them into what we believe and practice and vote for. Uh-oh, I said it. But when it comes to meditating on God's Word, we have to read objectively. We are the object that becomes shaped 
by God's word. We, we don't try to shape God's word by what we believe and what we hold dear. But rather, we let God's word shape us objectively. We are the object formed by the text. And so those are three ways in which you can meditate on God's word. And this is pretty much the end of the teaching moment. But usually at this point, we're like, all right, let's, let's, let's close in worship. But I thought this week, maybe instead of closing in, well, we are going to close in worship, but instead of closing through a song, maybe we'll do a meditation together. And I thought like, oh, these people will hate that. And then I thought to myself, good. Because that's what we're going to be doing together this week. In your workbooks is a challenge for you to do Lectio Divina, which is a meditation on a scripture each and every morning. It'll take you five to ten minutes, and most of you are thinking like, I don't know how to do that. Well, let's do it together. And so Lectio Divina is, um, is a tradition from about the third century. The, 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 uh, the desert mothers and fathers and monastic tradition had this way of reading God's scripture, which is not in big chunks, but in small small portions of scripture and then they would look for certain words and phrases that God would use to speak to them and this is a practice that we have done for generations and it's done in these four ways and you don't have to memorize or write this stuff down I just want to try to take you through the process before we actually do it is the first is that you would read a portion of scripture sometimes you would read it twice usually out loud you read a short portion of scripture. You get the overall context of this little piece. And then the second thing is you would meditate on it, which is really the hardest part, which is you sit in silence and you meditate on what you feel, the, the word or the phrase that God is specifically speaking to you in your context, where you are. You identify these specific phrases or words and you meditate on them. Sometimes you repeat them out loud and you ponder them. And then the third part of Lectio Divina is that you pray. You ask God, why, why have you drawn me to this word or to this phrase or to this section? What do you want to show me or teach me? And the fourth is that you contemplate. You rest in gratitude for God and his word. And in a community setting like this, the contemplation part can sometimes be communal where we can just say out loud some of the words that maybe God has, has spoken to us in this moment. And so we're actually going to take part in this practice together for the next few minutes. But before we do, I just want to pray for us. God, we're thankful for your word. We're so thankful for your word. There are things in this that we have yet to discover because sometimes we have been trying to rush through the reading instead of taking really small chunks and just trying to dig deeper into whatever it is that you want to say to us. And so God, in these next few moments, may we quiet our hearts and our minds through the power of your Spirit, empty ourselves of ourself so that we may hear and be filled by you through the meditation on your word this morning. All of God's people said, Amen. So, what I want to do is take us through the practice of Lectio Divina. And just hear me when I say this. It's probably not going to be perfect. One, because I'm leading it. Two, 
because there are people who are probably clearing the throats and coughing and they're squawking kids and the AC is probably going to go on and we're going to get distracted, okay? It's going to be imperfect, but that's okay. God is not asking you to be perfect. He is not asking me to be perfect in the reading of his word. But what would happen is if we all truly, communally, just quieted our minds and our souls for a moment and collectively tried to hear from God's word. What are some of the things that he might do in this room with us today as a church? And so we're going to close in worship, but we're going to do so by being led in Lectio Divina. And so we're gonna, I'm going to read a short passage from, from 1 Samuel 2. And then I'm going to highlight a few words or phrases, and I'm going to give you some quiet time to reflect on those. And then we're going to pray together, or you're going to pray by yourself. Say, God, why are you, why are you telling me about this word or this phrase? Why are you showing me this? What is it about this that I'm thinking about? And then we're going to contemplate together as a church. We'll have a good old testimony time. And maybe if you just want to share a word or a phrase that God has spoken to you through his word this morning, I think that's a good thing for us to share together. So, take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. You won't lose your reservations at Swiss Chalet. Let's empty our heads and our hearts. Maybe you want to Put your hands out with your palms up, signifying, God, my hands are empty. I want, you, I want you to fill my hands with something from you this morning. Maybe you want to put your hands out and palms down, saying, God, I'm letting go of that thing that has been on my mind all week or that thing that's going to be uh, kind of in my peripheries this week. Maybe you want to take a posture of prayer that's more comfortable. Maybe you want to get on your knees and lean on your chair. Maybe that's helpful. Whatever it is, whatever posture you need to take in these next few moments, I want to lead us through this Lectio Divina. And so I'm going to begin by reading 1 Samuel 2, 1 and 2 to us. I'm going to read it twice out loud. This is Hannah's prayer of praise. She prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Let me read that again. My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Let's sit and reflect on that small portion of Scripture for a moment, and then I'll highlight some specific words and phrases that Holy Spirit directs us to. first phrase that I want us to meditate on is the Lord has made me strong. 
the Lord has made me strong. The Lord has made me strong. Let's meditate on that phrase for a moment. Now begin to pray in your head or maybe even out loud. Ask what it is about the Lord has made me strong. What is it about that that speaks to you in this moment? Ask God, why are you drawing me to this phrase? Next phrase I want us to meditate on is, I rejoice because you rescued me. I rejoice because you rescued me. I rejoice because you rescued me. To pray and ask God, what is it about that phrase that speaks to me right now? Why are you drawing me to that phrase? I rejoice because you rescued me. And finally, I look at the phrase, there is no one besides you. There is no one besides you. There is no one besides you. Let's meditate on those words for a moment. First Samuel 2, 1 and 2 says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. No one, there is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. This is a meditation on God's word for us this morning. Amen. You did it. Raise your hand if you're asleep. Um, this is a very simple way. It that took us five minutes. We kind of had to expedite it because we have our second service coming in. But that is all it could take for God to say something extravagant in your life. That's it. That's a meditation on God's word for you and for us this morning. And if you have a, a, don't have one of these workbooks, we'd love for you to grab one on the way out this week. It's, you're going to be meditating on the same psalm, uh, or on a different psalm, uh, every day for, for a week or however much you want to do it. Five minutes, ten minutes every morning. Let's do this together as a church and see what collectively God says to us. Uh, we love you guys. Thank you for being here and being online with us this morning. I'm really excited for next week. Pastor Jason is back, and he's going to be talking about silence and Sabbath, two of my favorite things. And just a heads up, the challenge for next week is take a nap. The best. We love you guys, and we'll see you next week.